praise God. Well, I had in my heart, I, was, I have 1,400 things I could preach on, but I wanted to preach on what the Lord had uh, for the group of people that would be here tonight. And the Lord spoke to me specifically. I was laying, laying there in the bed and praying and meditating on the Word of God as I like to do. And the Lord gave me three scriptures and He said, you teach on prayer tonight. So we're going to teach on prayer a little bit and then we're going to pray. But we're not going to pray for ourselves. We've been praying some particular things in our church that we've been really seeing a powerful uh, manifestation of and I'm going to share those with you as I teach tonight. But I'm believing God. We've got uh, the church here in Grosbeck, Word of Life. And then, uh, uh, Jack, what's y'all's church name? Same, yeah, same as it was uh, uh, back when your, your dad had it, right? And so we're going to believe God that these prayers will begin to work in these two churches to, to, to see tremendous increase in every area. Tremendous blessing in every area. Now, if you will, let's start in Jeremiah. We're going to go... We're going to go Old Covenant, Gospels, New Covenant. Amen. Jeremiah, very familiar portion of Scripture. Praise God. Before we get started, let's just pray. Father, thank You tonight for Your Word. Thank You that the entrance of Your Word brings light and life to us. Let our hearts be open. Let our minds be attentive. Let us receive that which the Word of God dictates to bring change and affect blessing in our lives. We thank You for it, Father, in Jesus' name. And everyone says? Now, verse 11 Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Most people can probably quote this. It's a very familiar portion of Scripture. Notice what it says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Uh, then, now notice this, Then shall you call upon me, you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me, now notice this, and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. Everybody say, all your heart. Now, have you ever done something with all your heart? Has anybody ever done anything with all your heart? I mean, you put all your heart into it. Well, no matter what it was, whether it's a hobby or, a, or a, your job or a business or, or no matter what it was, anything that you put all your heart into that means you're totally committed or consecrated to it. Amen? Now, you know, when you get over on the commitment and consecration subject, because a lot of people struggle, you know, they, uh, they, 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 they consecrate themselves, especially to prayer. They get inspired by teaching on prayer. They think, oh, I'm going to pray. I'm going to get going into prayer. And many times you'll find out that prayer begins as a labor. You say, what do you mean by that? It's not easy. It begins as a labor. That means you've got to make time to pray. You've got to force yourself to pray. But I've always said this, and I've noticed this in my own life. If you will force yourself to pray, prayer will go from being a labor to a passion. I mean, we love to pray. We, we pray at our church twice a week. Actually, this coming, not, not, not this week, but next week, we'll have several prayer meetings before our, uh, before our fall harvest conference. We pray and pray over the conference. Pray over the people that are coming. You know, uh, John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist denomination, him and his brother, who, who back when they were uh, 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 preaching the gospel, were very holiness people. And I believe there were, there were men that understood some things about the Holy Ghost. But he made a statement in one of his writings. He says, it seems that God can do nothing in the earth unless men pray and believe Him for, for, it, for it to happen. And I believe that's true. I don't believe anything happens in the earth unless people pray and believe God for it to happen. 
And you know, we've seen some tremendous things. We've, we've prayed with some people recently. I know that we have a, a, a couple that we support, uh, out of Tulsa that, that, you know, they just kind of, they just kind of, for lack of a better, uh, word, struggled in ministry for a few years. They just kept at it. They kept praying. They kept believing God. And just this year had a great breakthrough in the nation of Pakistan. Had 96,000 people saved in one crusade. 96,000 people got saved. And so they went back again. We're just there uh, 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 last week. And we got a, uh, an email from them, showed the vast crowds that came. And they said, we'll send you the numbers of how many people got saved. We don't have, we, we haven't finished counting them up yet. It was like three days after the, 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 the conference. And they were still counting the people that got born again, got saved. That's because people prayed. Amen. I've done several mission, uh, missionary conferences lately. Uh, uh, I did a conference in Tanzania, Africa. There were approximately 4,000 ministers in that. And then we did a, uh, one in the Philippine Islands. When there, I don't know how many thousand uh, ministers were in that one. But in all of those, we emphasize prayer because prayer is what breaks open the move of God. And, and listen, that's where the enemy will fight churches and, 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 and groups of people and, uh, and whole, uh, moves of God. That's what he'll fight them the most is when it comes to prayer. I know a, a one particular friend of mine was invited to a church to hold a prayer conference in a church of 5,000. The membership of the church was 5,000. Had about 3,500 to 4,000 that come to church uh, regularly on a Sunday morning. And so they announced this particular speaker would begin on Sunday night, prayer conference, Sunday through Wednesday. Four nights. I mean, yeah, four nights. Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. The first night, five people showed up. Five people showed up. You say, well, what do you mean by that? People just aren't interested in it. But listen, prayer is communing with God. Prayer is fellowship with God. There's no greater labor on this. Now, we, we put great emphasis on the Word, but I want you to know the Word brings you into the place of communing with God through prayer. Listen, without prayer, the Word's ineffective. Now let me say that again. Without the Word, prayer is ineffective. And without prayer, the Word is ineffective. You've got to pray and use the Word together. When you pray in the Spirit, you know you're praying the will of God. You know when you're praying the will of God, you're praying the Word of God. Now notice it says here, it says, and you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. So consecrations are commitments to pray. So, Way back when I first went into ministry, I graduated from Bible school, went into ministry. We came, preached a revival in Grosbeck in, uh, it was in July of 1985, and then we came back in January of 1986 and did that seven-day meeting. And then for several years, we came every year and did a revival meeting here in Grosbeck. Now, uh, at that time, there was a prayer movement that raised up out of Rockwall, Texas. Some of you may have remembered that, uh, a man teaching on prayer, and and they put great uh, uh, emphasis on praying early in the morning, uh, uh, 4.30 in the morning, get up and pray, you know. And, and so, you know, I mean, you know, guy had a large church, a lot of people. He's on uh, international television, national and international television. So, you know, you, 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 you tend to believe people like that. So I, we listened to teaching on, on early morning prayer. And so I, I committed myself, I consecrated myself to pray at 4.30 in the morning. And so Lee and I had just been married uh, for a few months and we had a little house we were renting and, and I got up that first morning to pray at 4.30 in the morning and I, I got up and I, and I walked around a little bit praying. I, I saw the couch over there. I thought, oh, that, that'll be more comfortable to pray sitting on the couch. And before I knew it, I was stretched out on the couch and somebody was shaking me and it was Leah and it was 8 o'clock in the morning and I'd been sleeping since 4.30. 
Now let me give you a little background. I've always loved the outdoors. I like to hunt, like to fish, like to surf. I live on the coast. And uh, most people have never done anything for extended long periods of time. But I've, I've surfed, hunted, and fished for 50 years and still do it today. Never have had a problem getting up at 4.30 in the morning to go hunt. I got up last two, three, two Saturdays ago, got up at 3 o'clock in the morning to catch the 4 o'clock ferry to be in Winnie at 5 o'clock to get the group of hunters I had and take them. I didn't have any problem with it, didn't struggle, didn't fall asleep on the ferry, didn't have any problem, made it, no problem. Fishing, I'd get up 6 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the morning, no problem. Go surfing, we used to call it dawn patrol. Get up and go, at dawn. We, we go to, uh, we used to, when we preached in Hawaii, when we'd finish those great, uh, conferences and crusades, I'd get up early in the morning and I'd be in Honolulu. I'd be out there surfing as the sun never had any problem with it. But praying, I was having a problem. So I tried that about two or three mornings in a row and was just an abject failure at praying at 4.30 in the morning. So I knew I had a problem. So anytime you have a problem, what you need is more teaching. Everybody say more teaching. So I got me some more teaching. And when I got me some more teaching, I figured out through the teaching, my problem was my flesh. I needed to crucify my flesh. So the person teaching on it talked about praying in your bathtub. And so I thought, well, that's what I'm going to do. Because I tell you what, I've made a commitment to God. I've consecrated my... See, I'm talking about what? Praying with all of your heart. I've made a commitment to God. I've made a consecration to God. I'm going to pray at 4.30 in the morning, just like the preacher says to pray at 4.30 in the morning. So I'm going to get in my cold porcelain bathtub and pray at 4.30 in the morning. So I got up at 4.30 in the morning, and I went in, and I got in that bathtub, and I cut on that bright bathroom light, and I laid back in that bathtub, and I prayed. (laughs) Fell asleep. I thought, oh my God. And you know how the devil is. He'll put condemnation on you. He'll put guilt on you. And so, you know, I was condemned and I was guilty and I was crying and I was, Lord, forgive me. And you know, and what I was doing is I was falling into the same old rut that I fell into as a kid that caused me to backslide and be away from God for 12 years. Which was commitment, consecration, failure. Commitment, consecration, failure. Commitment, consecration, failure. Here I'm falling right into that same trap again. So, The guy that taught on praying in the bathtub said, if praying in the bathtub don't work, then turn around and put your head on the drain. You know a little thing that you do back and forth? Put your head on that. There's no way you can go to sleep with your head on that. It's way too uncomfortable. Guess what? I went to sleep with my head on the drain. Broke my consecration. Broke my commitment. I mean, I remember praying for a couple of days and I'm crying, I'm repenting. Oh Lord, I'm such a fair. And I, God spoke two words that got my attention. And I'm telling you, He spoke it authoritatively as the Heavenly Father would speak to His child. This is what He said. Shut up! And I thought, hmm. I better shut up. So I shut up and I got real quiet. And the Lord ministered to my spirit some things. And the first thing He said to me was this. He said, don't you ever... Make a consecration or commitment to me again. And I thought to myself, I've been taught all my life. I grew up in the Assemblies of God. Grew up around a little bit of old Pentecost, but the church I was in was kind of unique. It was kind of a forerunner of the charismatic movement. So they were breaking some of that tradition. But he said, don't you ever make a commitment or a consecration to me again. That upended my theology. A lot of my theology theology was based on the consecration or the commitment I had made. Then the Lord said this to me. 
He said, I never made a commitment towards you and I didn't make a consecration towards you. I gave you my life. Give me your life and we'll be okay. So I just right there got down on my knees. I lifted my hands. I said, forgive me where I've missed it, Lord. Today I give you my life. And did you know all the desire to pray at 4.30 in the morning left me? That's what desire that's not of God will do. It will leave you. And I found out that I do not pray very well at 4.30 in the morning. I pray very well in the afternoon. I didn't realize I would spend 20 years traveling all over the world and the majority of my prayer time would be in the afternoon. Randy can remember taking me to lunch many times. How long do you want to go to lunch? Well, Randy need to be back in my hotel room by about 1 o'clock so I can pray and prepare for them. I spent hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours praying and many times praying and fasting in the afternoon. I found out that that was my most prime opportunity time to commune with God. So I asked the Lord, I said, well, what about the guy, what the guy's preaching? He said, it's personal conviction. You've got to realize when somebody is preaching or teaching personal conviction. But in my own conviction and in my own giving of my life to the Lord, I found a way to pray and to seek God with all my heart. Amen. Many of you struggle many times because you're too much, you put too many rules and regulations on your prayer time. And time, many times, is the biggest problem. Well, we've got to pray an hour. Well, after ten minutes, you're finished. Amen? You've got to start where you are. You build a prayer life on a foundation of the Word of God and praying in a period of time in which you feel like you're getting through in prayer. Now, Leah and I, we pray... Uh, many times we'll pray together during, during the week, but we have a set-aside time of prayer on Tuesday mornings that she and I pray together. And we can very comfortably pray for one hour. But I'd never put that on anybody else to do that. I'd never put that on any other couple to do that. I'd never put that on anyone to do that. But we're comfortable doing that as a couple because we can also do that as individuals. But many times I'll pray two hours. I'll pray three hours. I'll go to my office many times. I'll pray. I'll pray 45, 50 minutes and then I'll lay there and I'll fall asleep. And I'll wake up and be so refreshed, I'll pray another hour. And I may fall asleep and I'll wake up and I'll worship God. Sometimes I'll go into the, into the, into the sanctuary and I'll just worship and pray God. Then I'll go home. You say, what point are you trying to make? You have to find your place of prayer, your way of prayer, and you have to find how to pray with all your heart. It's not a set way that I could tell you how you, I do it and that's how you should do it. You have to find it for yourself. If you will find it for yourself, you will find this. Fellowship, communication, and you will find it very easy to pray the heart of God for your own life and for your own church. Amen? Now, with that in mind, go, let's go over to the, to the Gospels. Let's go to Luke. Luke chapter 18. I thank God for praying people. Amen? Amen. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Jesus speaking. says, He spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought to always pray and not faint. That's King James. A better way to say it is you ought to pray and not give up. Amen? Say, I'm not going to give up. Say, I'm not going to give up. Now it says this. Saying, here's the parable. There was in a city, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, 
And she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said unto himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her. Least by her continual coming, she weary me. One of them says, one, one translation says, at least by her continual coming, she gives me a black eye. Another one says, at least by her continual coming, she'll bloody my nose. That means she's coming violently. She's coming with a lot of, with a lot of, how would you say, a lot of vim and vigor. Amen. Now notice this. Yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, least by her continual coming, she weary me. And the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge saith. Now, did you hear that? Now, first, let me, let me help you. And this might, this might break your theology up, but if it does, you know, just let it be broken up. God in this is not the unjust judge. That's right. That's right. Let me say that again. Many times this is taught that God is the unjust judge. God is not the unjust judge. God is not. He, listen, this is what I call a, uh, a comparison, uh, 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 parable where Jesus is comparing two things. He's saying, this is what's not of God and this is what of God. And they are way far apart. Amen. God is not the un, this is not the unjust judge. You have to read the rest of the scripture. Read the rest of the, the scripture. Verse seven. And shall not God avenge his own elect which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them, I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Now what he says is this. He says, now listen, I'm going to give you an example of an unjust judge. This unjust judge is over there. And this woman has to come and bang on his door and beg him and bang on his door and beg him and bang on his door. And it went on and on and on. Then it, this is what he said. I'm going to paraphrase. This is what he said. Then he says this. God is nothing like that. That's what he's saying. He's saying God is nothing like that. God, when you come to Him with your petition, when you come to Him with your request, when you come to Him with the Word of God, when you come to Him, He's going to avenge you how? Speedily. That means He's going to do everything He can do to get the answer to you as quick as He can get the answer to you. Amen. 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 Now, I've heard all kinds of teachings. Some of them I kind of, I just didn't buy into them when I heard them. And I had some time to walk some things out by faith. And therefore, I was able to prove that a lot of the teaching on this is erroneous. When it comes to what people call the timing of God. Well, you can pray for this, or you can pray for that, or you can pray for this and pray for that. But it's all in the timing of God. Well, there is some relevance to the timing of God. But you have to understand, it's not like God is withholding anything from us. Prayer is not asking God to do something. Prayer is affirming that He already has done it. Now let me say that again. Prayer is not asking God, God heal me, or God bless my finances, or God do this, or God do that. Now I know there are some types of prayer when you pray that type of thing that is needed. But when it comes to the needs of our life, and that which was provided for us through redemption, the Bible says He's already given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, that through the precious promises of God, we might be partakers of the divine nature. Which means God's not going to give you anything. He's already given it to you. 
See, a lot of people struggle with that concept. You know, all the people in this area that need to be saved, God's not going to save them. God's already saved them. He said, well, pastor, I, I need to be healed. God's already healed you. Prayer appropriates that which God has already done. And when you appropriate that which God has already done, then you have to walk in the light of it as if God has already done it. That's what your faith is. I thought about with malaria. I know when I got it. I got it in the summer of 1993 in Haiti. I was over there doing a pastor's conference right next to a nasty marsh that was loaded with mosquitoes. You could put mosquito spray on and it was like marinade. I mean, all it did was made them flock onto you, you know. And I got bit up real bad and the devil started speaking negative things into my ear. And I immediately began to speak healing scriptures, speak healing scriptures, speak healing scriptures. And I, I, uh, I, I ended up in Europe in September of that year. And on the way home from Europe, symptoms started to hit me. And those are the most, uh, it's, it's the most incredible sensations I ever felt in my body. I would get so cold, I couldn't get warm. And I'd get so hot, I couldn't get cool. And then I'd shake. And then I wouldn't shake. And then I, I mean, it was just, it went on and on. And of course, all of the nasal and the, and the, all of that kind of stuff just, it was just horrible. And so anytime, listen, anytime you're attacked with sickness or disease, the first thing you need to do is pray and find your path of healing. Everybody say path of healing. Your path of healing may go through a doctor's office. Your path of healing may go through a treatment. Or your path of healing may be, may, may, may be a stand in faith. But if you're not connecting and communicating with God, how in the world are you going to know what your path is? I remember when Lee and I first got married, I had actually just come home from Grosbeck. I had been here in the summer. It was, remember that one time I came and y'all gave me a barbecue pit. Made a barbecue pit out of a, some kind of drill pipe. Man, that thing weighed my whole truck down driving back to Houston like that. Anyway, I got home and I, I, I woke up. Uh, uh, I, I had gotten home. I was off that weekend, went to church. Monday morning, I'd gotten up and I had this pain in my side. And man, it felt like somebody was sticking a knife in my side and twisting it. And something spoke to me and said this, it's your appendix, go to the doctor. I said, you lying devil. I bind you in the name of Jesus. You're not going to attack my appendix. I refuse to have appendicitis. In the name of Jesus. I believe I receive healing. Well, about an hour later, I'm doubled over like this. And that, that boy spoke to me a second time and said, It's your appendix. Go to the doctor. And a second time I said, You lying devil. I bind you in the name of Jesus. I'm not going to have appendix, appendicitis. I believe I receive my healing. At noon, I was doubled up on the bed. A voice spoke to me and said, Go to the doctor. You have appendicitis. I said, Yes, Lord. Leah owned a business at the time. She sent her business partner, partner came, picked me up. They brought me into the emergency room, took one look at me, had me in the operating room, I think at five o'clock in the afternoon, took my appendix out. Well, I had to hear the voice of God on it. So I started praying. I said, Lord, what do I do? What should I do? I mean, my, 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 uh, my, my sinuses are constantly draining. I'm hot one day, cold the next. I'm telling you, I can't, I can't seem to get any relief, can't get, and the Lord said this. He said, stand in faith. Stand in faith. Stand in faith. And so every day I'm confessing healing scriptures. I'm thanking God I believe. Now this went on September, October, November, December, January. Four months this went on. Now during those four months, you know what I had to do? You know what I had to do? I had to act like I was healed. 
I'd act like I was healed. You ought to take an airplane ride sometime when your sinuses is so stopped up you can't hardly see straight. I did not cancel one meeting. And what was amazing was I'd go to meetings and I'd pray for people and they'd all fall under the power of God and get up screaming, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. And I'd go back to the hotel room and roll up in the covers like a taco and sit there and shiver. And this went on month after month after month after month. Until uh, January, I had to go to Hawaii. I had several meetings I had to do and I was doing legwork for a crusade in Hawaii. And I went to Hawaii. And in Hawaii, the Lord did some things, spoke some things to me, and I ended up getting healed. Now, here's the point. You say, what is the point you're trying to make out of that? I had to contend in prayer and persevere with all of my heart and believe every scripture I knew about prayer and I had to believe that this was the speedy way that God avenged my faith. You say, why did it take so long? I have no idea. But I know this. I had not had one symptom since then. And I have friends that's had malaria and they have bouts of it just about every six to eight months and they've had it like that for years. I hadn't had another symptom of it since then. Because I was totally set free. You say, why? Because God will avenge you as speedily as you believe you receive. Now let me say that again. God will avenge you as speedily as you believe you receive. Now let me say this. The Lord just quickened this to my spirit. I was listening to the testimony of a man that was healed of a terrible condition. Total paralysis in his body. And he made the statement that in his believing for healing, that if Jesus would have appeared to him, he would have said to Jesus, Jesus, I believe I receive healing. And nothing in this world can convince me I do not believe it. I do not doubt it. I do not doubt it in any way. And as far as I see in the Word of God, I believe I receive. He said the Lord spoke to him and said, you're correct. You're right. You believe what you know, but what is hindering you from belief, from receiving is what you don't know. You say, what do you mean by that? There are things you've got to continue to grow in when it comes to the things of God in order to believe you receive when it comes to healing, when it comes to prosperity, when it comes to the blessings of God. God is not trying to withhold anything from anybody. What He's trying to do is get you into a position where you actually believe you receive and then you shall have it. And when you have it, then it not only helps you and blesses you, it expands the kingdom of God. Amen? Now, Go over to the book of James. I like this. This is a good scripture in James. James chapter 5. Well, it would read a few scriptures here. I like this. Let's just start in verse 13. Is there any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is there any merry? Let him sing something. Now let me just say this. If you study the scripture... Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. I know a lot of people love to be ministered to at the altar. But you ought to grow in the things of God to the point that you can carry yourself in prayer. Now we love, we've ministered to thousands of people over the years in the altar. We laid hands, pray the prayer of faith, believe God with it. But listen, you, you need to get to the point in your life where you can, in most things in your life, you can carry yourself in prayer. Did you know that takes faith to do that? Now you get out beyond your faith, that's when being ministered to in the altar will help you. The anointing of God, the power of God, the gifts of God, the endowments of God. 
God will always send you someone. You know, Lee and I for many years, we've told this testimony before, but I, I like it. It's a good testimony. Lee and I for many years, even now, we have pastors that will send couples who the doctor said they can't have children to our church for Lee and I to minister to them and pray for them. Because all during our ministry, we've had a ministry to be able to pray for people who were told they could not have children. We pray for them, they have, they have children. We just, I think it was this year, uh, someone we prayed for in Tulsa just had a little baby. We have a church out of, uh, a, a family in our church that came from Tulsa uh, down to Galveston to be in our church. And, and they told us just a few months ago that, that uh, somebody we ministered to in a fire for the nations, not this year, but the year before, has just had a baby. Dr. Stone said they couldn't have children. We had, uh, in one church, we had 13 couples that doctors said they could not have children, and nine of them within the first year had children, and all 13 within two years had children. We had a lady in Ireland, a doctor in Ireland, who was from Nigeria, who had a fever when she was a child, and it, listen, it destroyed her, her reproductive organs, and she was prayed for, and had a child, and still did not have her reproductive organs. They weren't there. They couldn't explain it. And the last time we heard of her, she had had three children. And you know, Lee and I used to make the confession of, you know, there's two things we'll never do. We'll never pastor a church and we'll never have children. Well, be, be, be careful what you say you'll never do. Amen. Because within what you say you'll never do may be the destiny of God for your life. So about the time God began to deal with us about starting a church, God began to deal with us about having children. Amen. And so uh, we were told by a doctor the same thing. That, that, that we could not have children. We were told by a doctor, given, given the, the, the specific reason, the specific diagnosis, but we had been faithful with what God gave us and we prayed. Everybody say, we prayed. And when he, when, and when we prayed, God did a miracle for us. He sent us to Dr. Oral Roberts. Literally. God arranged it to where Lee and I spent the night in the same hotel room as Dr. Oral Roberts. It was a, it was a big hotel room with a bedroom on each end. And we were asked by a pastor in whose church they were preaching in to take care of him because he had, had bad, his eyes. He'd had a, he'd had an eye surgery and he needed eye drops in his eye like five times a day. So Leah was over there. Uh, so I remember he was laying out on the couch. I was sitting in a chair. Leah was sitting on the other side of him and he was laying there with his head back and Leah was putting eye drops in his eye. One, two, three at a time. Then next eye, did it, eye drops in his eye. And so he just sat up and he looked up. He wiped his eyes. He looked up. We were talking, he was talking about his family, talking about his grandchildren. He looked up and he said, Rusty, what about your family? And all I said was this. I said, Dr. Roberts, we're believing God. And when I said that, he did something very strange. He grabbed my arm and went up my arm with, with his hand like this. Then he grabbed Leah's arm and did the same thing and went up her arm. Then he stood back and he crossed his arms and told us word for word, exactly what the doctors told us of why we could not have children. Then he laid hands on us. Before he laid hands on us, he said this. He said, the gift of God is in my right hand. He said, the gift of God is... See, God will send you a gift when you get beyond your faith. When you get out beyond... If you're what? If you're praying. If you're seeking God. If you've got that prayer life in which you're constantly communicating with God, God will make sure whatever gift, whatever anointing that you need, He'll make sure to get it to your life. He'll get it there. So He laid His hand upon me, and I fell out under the power of God. I don't know what happened to Leah. That was in October of 2000. 
And in January of 2001, we had a baby girl, eight pounds, one ounce, perfectly healthy. And she's an 18-year-old, on-fire-for-God teenager, works in our church, goes to school, has a little job, and God has blessed our life because of prayer. Amen. Everybody say prayer. prayer. Listen, it just doesn't happen. God can arrange your life according to how you pray. So if you've got some afflictions in your life, some things that are going on, you don't need the pastor for everything. You don't need to call into the televangelist for everything and get the blue cloth, the white cloth, the anointing oil, and the water from the Dead Sea. Amen? Because the more you can pray and get answers, the more confidence you'll have in your own prayer life and you'll begin to realize, hey, I'm communicating with God. So notice what it says again. Is any among, among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing songs. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save or raise up the sick. So it's not the oil that does it, it's what? Now I'm not against oil. We anoint people with oil. We, we actually, in our church we do it like this. We do, we say we want to stay exactly how the scripture says it. If you want to be anointed with oil, and you want hands laid upon you, then you come to us. You come to us and tell us. And then we'll do it. And many times we've done it. We've seen some amazing results. But listen, this is a result of what? Of prayer. Everybody say prayer. prayer. Now notice it says, And the Lord shall raise him up. If he had any sins, they shall be forgiven. Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another, that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. Now listen to it in the Amplified. I like it in the Amplified. Read it, verse 16, Amplified. Confess to one another, therefore, your faults, your slips, your false steps, your offenses and your sins. Pray also one for another, that you may be healed and restored to the spiritual tone of mind and heart. The earnest, heartfelt, continual prayer of a righteous man or woman makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Did you get that? It makes what? Tremendous power available. Tremendous, that means at all times, everywhere, tremendous power is available. But God is looking for somebody who's going to what? Who's going to pray. You've got to make it available. You know, you think about, you think about here in this, this, this area, the, the central Texas area. You know, before we were here, Indians were here. I don't know what was here before Indians. I guess other Indians. Amen? Now, in this area, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, 400 years ago, 500 years ago, there was electricity. There was electricity or the potential of electricity in the running water of all of the streams. People have learned how to take water and, and create power stations. There was electricity in the atmosphere, thunderstorms, lightning. There was electricity in the wind. We see wind power generators there now. But none of those, none of those people 200, 300, 400 years ago, none of them, none of them had anything that would run on electricity because they did not know how to gather electricity. They did not know how to assimilate electricity, nor did they know how to transmit it, nor did they have anything to connect it to. But it did not mean that it was not here. 
Listen, we didn't invent electricity. Let me say that again. We didn't invent it. I like what one preacher said. He said, uh, uh, electricity is God's power in the natural, just like the Holy Ghost is God's power in the Spirit. Electricity has always been on the earth. Electricity has always been present on the earth. Some man did not invent electricity. It was always here. It was God's power source. But one day, somebody figured out what it was. This is power. There's power in this stuff. What can we do to gather it? Well, let's gather it up. So they figured out how to gather it up. Now, as they learned how to gather it up, they figured out, well, if we gather it up, what are we going to do with it? Amen? I think it took uh, Thomas Edison, what was it? Like 65 or 66 attempts before he figured out how to make a light bulb. He failed and failed and failed and failed. Like to blew himself up a couple of times with, with electricity because it was uh, totally unrestricted. But he failed and failed and failed. But did you know... Five years after the invention of the light bulb, most of the gas lamps and lights of this area in central Texas were gone and they were electrical. That quick it happened. That quick it happened. Then they started inventing other things. They figured out, we got power now. We can hook it to a light bulb and change the atmosphere. We can hook it to a, we can hook it to a, to an air conditioning system and, and get rid of all the heat. We can hook it to a sound system and amplify somebody's voice. We can hook it to lights. We can hook it to all this kind of... And now our entire life and lifestyle is dependent upon electricity. Have you, had to, have you ever had to live without it for a while? Lee and I have. We've, we've been in a couple of hurricanes when there wasn't any power, wasn't any electricity. It's terrible. You don't realize how dependent you are on electricity. God made tremendous power available and it's been on the earth for 6,000 years and we've only been the first generation, actually the first uh, the first century, century and a half, to ever actually use it. Now think about when it comes to spiritual things. I mean, after Jesus rose from the dead in the great outpouring of the Spirit in, in, in Acts uh, chapter 2, and the initial uh, filling of the church with power and the evangelization of what we call the known world, then the world went into the dark ages. And, and, and Christianity just became another religion. Like the Muslim religion, or the or the or the or the Hindus, or the Buddhists. Actually, Muslims and Christians fought like two different nations over territory and power for literally centuries, not even knowing what they were doing, not even knowing what they were doing, until one day a guy named Martin Luther actually read the Bible, or what what was known as the Scripture at the time, and figured this out: the just shall live by faith, and it started. 400 years ago, that which culminated in the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in 1907, which totally revolutionized the world. And if you've noticed how electricity and the move of God have moved parallel one with another. And now we live at a time in which you're sitting with a... They say that your cell phone has more technology in it than the technology that was used to send man to the moon. And it runs on a little old bitty electrical battery. No wonder the devil fights prayer. No wonder the devil fights praying in the Spirit. No wonder the devil fights appropriating that which God has in the Word of God. The reason he does that is he knows you're God's generator. You're not the power, you're the generator. You're the part that pulls the power out of the unseen and brings it into the scene. You're the, you're the, you're the actually the instrument that God wants to connect His power to. And if you allow God to connect His power to you, it'll change the atmosphere of your life and it'll change the atmosphere of the life around you. 
That's why Satan has done everything he can do to suppress the Holy Ghost church. Now listen, we're living in a post-charismatic time. Pastor Randy said this morning, I think for, Lord, the first probably five years, I would say maybe even the first seven years that I preached in this area, every meeting I preached was packed out. And I didn't, I wasn't a well-known minister. It's just people heard, oh, they're having a Holy Ghost meeting over in Grosby. They're having a Holy Ghost meeting over there in Oakwood. They're having a Holy Ghost meeting in Buffalo. They're having a Holy Ghost meeting. Where I tell you that they're, they're, they're singing the praises of God. They're talking about praying for the sick. I mean, people would just come and come and come and come and big conferences. You know, Brother Kenneth E. Hagan held his conference and there'd be as many as 18 to 20,000 people in the Tulsa Convention Center. But by the time he went home to be with the Lord, they could barely gather 3,500 to 4,000 people at Raymond Church in Tulsa. You say, why is that? Because the enemy figured out if I can suppress the believers and keep them from praying, I can keep that tremendous power from becoming available to them. So a spirit of apathy and complacency has gotten into the church. Amen? So what we have to do as believers, as someone somewhere has to start praying and believing God to break that spirit of apathy and complacency. Amen? Now, I'll share a couple of experiences with you, then we're going to pray. Years ago, I began to see the crowds drop off. We'd have packed out Sunday morning services. Then, then Sunday night, it'd be a few less. Then Monday night, a few less. Tuesday night, a few less. Then Wednesday, we'd usually bring the, gather the crowd back. Well, that wasn't working for me. I just, that, that, that was just irritating me. So I started praying. And the Lord spoke to me and said, pray over your crowds. Remember that, sweetie? We'd, we'd gotten, we'd had offices that had a staff. So we began to pray over the crowds coming to the meetings. We began to bind the devil. We, get, we begin to say, devil, in the name of Jesus, you're not going to stop people from coming to this meeting. God has orchestrated this. These pastors of this church want us to come. We're going there to build that local church. In the name of Jesus, we say people are released to be in. And we begin to pray and crowds begin to come back and begin to grow. God reminded me of that about a year and a half ago at Island Church. Because, I don't know, Pastor Jack can probably relate, Pastor Randy can relate to this. It's amazing how a church this size can have, you can have two to three to four hundred people that come to the church. But they don't all show up at once. You have a core group that'll come. Then you have a large group of people that come once a month, twice a month, every other month, once over six months, twice a year, and they just kind of lumber in and lumber out. Just really, you know, if we don't have baseball, if we don't have a rodeo to go to, you know, if we're not doing this, if the fish aren't biting, if the ducks aren't flying, you know, if this isn't happening, if that's not happening, then, you know, we'll make it down to church and God knows we love Him. God, you, listen, that's a spirit. So we at Island Church begin to pray. We begin to pray like this. Heavenly Father, we thank You for all the people that come faithfully on Sunday. All the men and women that get up and they come to Sunday school and they come to be a part. All of the volunteers do. I think we have like a hundred volunteers that work in the church. All the volunteers that we have. Lord, we thank you. They have no problem. So what we do is we bless them and we thank you. You bless their going out. You bless their coming in. But in the name of Jesus, we're going to pray over another crowd right now. 
Lord, we're going to pray over those who every Sunday morning and every Wednesday night and every special service, they get up and a fight starts between them and the adversary, trying to keep them out of the house of God. So what we're going to do is we're going to get on their side and we're going to pull on their behalf and pray them into service. Pray them into church. So we begin to say, devil, in the name of Jesus, we bind you over these people. We, we bind confusion. We bind offense. We bind addictions. We bind whatever it may be that's keeping these people out of the house of God. All of these people that live on the peripheral of the move of God that are caught up by this spirit of apathy and complacency, we break it in the name of Jesus. Well, if you don't do it, it ain't going to happen. If you don't use your authority to bring a move of God, you'll never see a move of God. So we begin to pray. And you know what? Crowds started coming. People started coming. People start, we started having visitors. 20 visitors at a time. People begin to come. People begin to get set free. People begin to get saved. And we're still praying because we're still fighting that. You say, what do you mean by that? We're still praying over people. Now you can't control people, but you can control the atmosphere around them. You can bind the devil. You can loose the Holy Ghost. You can loose the Spirit of God. You can bind the spirits of apathy and complacency. But here's the thing. You as a believer need to make a decision not to walk in those things where they inhibit what you do when it comes to your prayer life. You've got to fight to be a man or a woman of prayer. Now let me say that again. You have to fight to be a man or a woman of prayer. You've got to make a decision. I'm going to pray. I'm going to, I'm going to pray. I'm going to discipline myself in my prayer life. And when I break my discipline, I'm not going to get discouraged. I'm going to go right back where I was. I mean, there are times when I'll, I'll pray seasonally. I'll have three, four weeks. It seems like I'm just praying all the time. And then it'll kind of just let up. And I'll, and I'll maybe pray a half an hour to an hour a day and then, you know, just kind of pray, go through that. Then it'll hit me again and I'll start taking off prayer. And then, uh, then it'll kind of lift. Then it'll hit me again. And I've noticed during those up times, during those times when you're praying, it doesn't seem like anything's going on. But then those down times when it seems like you're not praying at all, things start just happening here and there. You say, now why is that? Because God wants you to know He's answering your prayer. He's answering your prayer. He's answering what you prayed about in June, July, and August. He answers what you're praying about. You've got to understand. Listen, church, you've got to understand. The church needs to wake up and pray. I said the church needs to wake up and pray. You say, now why is that? Why is that necessary? Number one, we need to obey First Timothy and pray for our nation. Our nation is in abject turmoil right now. There's never been more turmoil in our nation. Our parents and our grandparents, even during World War II, did not see this much political conflict in the nation. Our nation is literally in a place of conflict and division like we were in the 1800s before the Civil War. And if you think things are just going to play out, you're wrong. I know one man of God that we, we love and follow after he, God was talking to him and correcting him. A situation happened in the economy back in the 80s. A terrible recession took place. And he was praying about that recession. Had to cut back on his staff. Had to cut back uh, some salaries. Had to, had to fire some people. He had about 200 uh, employees on his staff. He had to fire about half of those people. About 100 people. And he's praying, God, why did this happen? Why did this happen? And the Lord he said, I told you Two years ago, you need to pray this thing through. If you'd have prayed this thing through, this recession wouldn't have happened. He says the responsibility belongs to the church. 
You say, you mean a church can stop recessions? The church can stop recessions. The church can stop whatever type of turmoil is going on in the earth today. And listen, we, 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 we just take it for granted. We are so, how can I say this? We are so calloused. I mean, you, 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 you turn on the news and 50 people get killed somewhere and it's like, that's demonic. I said, that's demonic. We pray, we pray, we pray. We stop that from happening. We can hold that back. Only the church is the force on the earth that holds back the kingdom of darkness and it can't do it through apathy and complacency. It has to do it through the application of the Word of God and the authority that is released in prayer. And listen, let me say this. I've said this for years because I... I cut my teeth preaching in, in country towns. I've preached in a lot of big cities, but listen, in churches just like this one, in country towns all over America, people think they're isolated. You're not isolated, you're included. There's just as much drug addiction in this area. There's just as much chaos. There's just as much turmoil. It does. You say, well, I'm so glad I don't live in the big city. you got the same problems right here. You just don't know it. You just don't know it. When it shows up, then you know it. But it's going on out there. There's people doing drugs in Grosbeck. There's people doing all kinds of nasty things all around this area. But what holds it back or keeps it from coming into manifestation is the effectual fervent prayer of righteous men and women that makes tremendous a power available that's dynamic in its working. Amen. I mean, we pray, we learned years ago to pray against storms, pray against hurricanes. And we've, we've got several Tremendous testimonies about how God has spared us from storms and hurricanes. Now, I don't know what happened in 2008 other than this. That the restoration of our, of our city being destroyed brought a great move of God to our church. We got a great, how could you say this, reputation by feeding the community, helping the community, blessing the community. And what the devil meant for harm, God turned to our good. Amen. Which means what? Things will happen from time to time, but if you pray, your recovery will be supernatural. I don't know if you know the testimony. We, 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 we left, came back two to three days later. We were able to get onto the island because our niece worked for the mayor or worked for the city manager. And, uh, man, I tell you what, coming driving on that island, I, I've seen the island destroyed three times. 1963, 1983, and 2008. But I never saw it destroyed like it was in 2008. I mean, it was absolutely destroyed. I mean, there was, what, 30, 40 inches of water in our church and 15, 20 inches of water in our house. Man, neighborhoods were totally wiped out. Boats were stacked up on the highway as high as this building. I mean, it was... And then it looked like all of the plants, somebody had come and poured gasoline on the entire island. Every plant was dead. Every plant was dead. So we started the restoration. Blackman Mooring came. Begin to do the tear out. They were doing the tear out. We were looking for papers, trying to find our insurance. Every year we had call, carried a full measure of insurance, including flood insurance. That year, for some reason, flood insurance was not put into our policy. So we were stuck with the entire building destroyed, over a half million dollars of damage, and not a dime. Not one penny. Not one penny. And we were preaching. Actually, we were preaching in, in Waco, Texas. And pastors Randy and Linda had a word, a tongue and interpretation that said this. You'll not have to borrow a dime. 
You'll not need a dollar. I'll send everything you need into the church to totally repair and restore the church. Well, I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I believe in the power of the Holy Ghost. Right after that meeting in Waco, we had our conference in the convention center in Galveston. We couldn't have it in our church. Our church was destroyed. We got up in front of the entire congregation and we tore up all the papers that we were needing in order to, uh, in order to borrow money from FEMA or anybody else. And we said, we're going to believe God for a miracle for this church to be built back and for us to be in our building as soon as possible. We were the first church on the island. We had over $350,000 in tangible cash come into our hands, and God did miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Everything from people coming to help us to the, to the, what we call the, 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 uh, uh, dehumidifier miracle. We had 15,000 square feet we had to dry out. You have to dry it out with dehumidifiers. Dehumidifiers in a storm zone, uh, you know, just a little area like this takes one dehumidifier. This room would probably take four dehumidifiers to dry out. They're 200 bucks an hour. And you have to run them for two weeks. We needed 20 for the church. 200 bucks an hour. 20 for two weeks. Do the math on that. So we're praying, believing God. We get a phone call. Company out of Houston calls us and said, you know, we have 200 dehumidifiers we need to bring into Galveston. Can we storm in your church? <laughs> we said, we sure, sure can, as long as we can plug them in. They said, plug them in anywhere you want. So we were able to totally dehumidify our building for nothing. <laughs> Amen. We were the first church on the island back into its building. We were the first church to do all of that outreach. We fed, what, 6,000, 9,000 meals in six weeks and totally blessed the island. You know why all that happened? Because we prayed. Because we prayed. Because we prayed. Because we prayed. And listen, I think there's a lot of people just kind of sitting around thinking, well, we're going to watch and see what God will do. There's a great move of God coming. No, there's only what we're praying for. That's the only thing that's coming is what we're praying for. And if you've been praying for revival, if you've been contending for a move of God, that's what Cornelius did. The Bible said he was a devout man. He feared God with all of his house. He gave much alms to the people and he did what? He prayed always. You're going to get what you're praying for. Somebody said, well, I'm just praying. I'm not praying for anything. Then that's what you'll get is nothing. But you ought to be specific. You ought to be targeted. And you ought to develop that prayer life till you can say this. I am making great power available that's dynamic in its working. Let me close with this last testimony. This, this will bless you. Particular ministry we know. They called from Egypt. The vice president of Egypt's wife was dying of cancer. And they had heard a particular testimony of a diplomat that had gotten healed in a meeting. So they requested to fly this vice president's wife over to America for this particular minister to pray for. Now, instead of bringing them to a healing meeting, they brought her to a prayer meeting. And they used this scripture right here out of James chapter 5. And they prayed. This woman had stage 4 cancer. and They said, look, the picture of death. 
And they said they laid hands and prayed and made tremendous power available. Dynamic in its working. And she was healed. Now listen. Because of that, the husband, who was a Muslim, said we need this in this nation. And they released their authority to print the books of this minister. And they printed 11 books, over 4 million of them, and distributed them all over Egypt. Now this is back in the 70s. Since then, the back of the Muslim religion in that region has been broken. And right now, all across the Middle East, unbeknownst to most of you in this church, revival is breaking out in an unprecedented way amongst the Muslims. There's visitations of dreams. There's visitations of visions. Jesus is appearing and they're getting saved in mass. We were in Arusha, Tanzania. And they just built, Saudi Arabia in Arusha just built a mosque that seats, they they don't sit, they they kneel, but it it can hold 28,000 Muslims. They come pray three times a day, facing toward Mecca. They have four, excuse me, five imams that would be like the pastors that take care of the congregation. Five of them. One particular one had a dream three nights in a row. Saw Jesus in the dream. Jesus would appear to him, hold his hands open said, I'm Jesus. I died for you. Muhammad did not die for you. I died for you. You can live for me. I died for you. And he said he got up every morning that he had those dreams three nights in a row and rejected them. said, I don't want nothing to do with Jesus. I don't want nothing to do with Christianity. All five of them were leaving the mosque, walking down the street in Arusha. Four men turned and went this way. He turned and went this way. As he made his turn and came around a corner, Jesus walked right up to him, held out his hand. Said, I'm Jesus. He said he could see the light through the holes in his hands. He said, I'm Jesus. I died for you so you can live for me. He fell on his knees. Got born again. Came to the, 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 uh, uh, seminar, the, the, the pastor's meeting that we were teaching. Gave the testimony that he went back to the mosque and in the mosque gave the testimony of how he got saved. And 8,000 Muslims got saved just like that. You know how that happened? Through prayer. Through prayer and intercession. So you've got to realize, this area has not seen its greatest revival. This area has not seen the greatest move of God that it's ever going to see. This area has not seen the greatest outpouring of the Holy Ghost. I thank God for the, for the days of, uh, of Jack's dad when he pioneered the move of God around here and other men that came through this area and preached and proclaimed the gospel. But this is our time. This is our generation. And there has to raise up a group of people who are willing to pray the price to see God move. Because I'm telling you, the whole world is moving away from God. I said the whole world, the school, this big school over here, needs revival. Yes, amen. This city, this little town, needs revival. Yes. Mahaya needs revival. All this, there are people dying and going to, we say it like this at Island Church. People say, why are you so, why are you so intense about the move of God? Why are you so intense about evangelism? Why are you, why do you have these conferences? Why do you, why do you do all this missions work? Why do you do all this? Let me, let me tell you why. Here's why. Of all the work that's done on the earth, We live in Galveston. There's a huge teaching hospital, University of Texas Medical Branch. Not only do they treat the sick, they do research to try to 
Find better treatments, better medicines. There's a, there's a Burns Institute, Shriners Burns Institute that treats burn children. It's only for children. They bring children from all over the world that are burned. Don't you think they're doing some important work? Now, there's also a, a huge insurance, American National Insurance Company. They insurance, they insure homes, they insure cars, they, they sell life insurance, they insure buildings and businesses. Don't you think they do important work? There's a, there's Texas A&M, uh, the Marine Division of, uh, of, of the Texas A&M that's in College Station. This is the Marine part that studies the ocean, studies the animals, does all that type. Don't you think they're doing important work? But nobody's doing more important work than island churches do. Here's why. Because you can get sick and go to UTMB and they can treat your sickness and you can go home well. You can get your house insured and your house can burn down and they'll pay money and build you another one. But when people go to hell, it's forever. I said, when people go to hell, it's forever. And if that doesn't touch your heart or hit your heart, then you need to start praying. Because that is the heart of your heavenly Father. Is You are in His heart, but it is His heart beats toward those that don't know yet. That haven't heard yet. You say, well, we've tried to reach them for years. That's okay. It's a new day. It's a new hour. And if we will make a decision to pray. And let, let, me, let me close with this. How's my time going long enough? Oh, I've got a couple of minutes. People struggle with the righteous part. Say, so, well, you know, Pastor, it says the effectual fervent prayer of righteousness. If I could just obtain somehow to that righteousness. Well, you are righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He that knew no sin was made sin on our behalf, so that you might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. I, one of the maddest days I ever had in my life. I was driving uh, from Galveston down to Corpus Christi to preach in a camp meeting down there. And I heard a guy, a denominational guy, preaching on righteousness. And I'm telling you, he tore up the way we believe on righteousness, every way he could. There's no, there's none righteous. No, not one. It's not talking about you. Our righteousness is but filthy righteousness. Not talking about you. Not talking about you. And he, then he, then he got over on us. Well, you know that faith crowd, you know that charismatic crowd, they go around talking about how they're righteous. Well, that's heresy. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. There's not one of them that's righteous. Bless God, we're all righteous. Righteousness is not something you obtain for yourself. It's something imparted to you through the new birth. You've been given the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That makes you one of those righteous people that can pray those fervent prayers and make tremendous power available. Amen? So back to Jeremiah. What? You find him when what? You seek him with all your heart. He's not an unrighteous judge. He wants to avenge you speedily. But you got to get busy in prayer. Amen? So stand on your feet. Stand on your feet. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, in this meeting, we close it tonight with prayer. By coming with petition unto you. Two churches. No, 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 Lord. Three churches represented here tonight. A church in Galveston. A church in Grosbeck. A church in Oakwood. Father, we come to You now in the name of Jesus on behalf of these churches. First of all, we come with thanksgiving in our heart. You said to enter Your gates with thanksgiving in Your heart. To come in our court, into Your courts with praise. To declare this is the day the Lord has made. To rejoice and be glad in it. 
So tonight, Father, we come in Your name. We come into the very throne room of God by the name of Jesus, bringing petition, bringing requests. For You said, the effectual fervent prayer of righteous men and women make tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. So Father, we use our authority tonight. This foul spirit of apathy and complacency that tries to get into these areas and manifest itself in almost a narcotic manifestation in which men and women fall asleep spiritually. We bind it in the name of Jesus. We declare in this church, in the church in Galveston, in the church at Oakwood, we declare the crowds are coming back in Jesus' name. We speak to the righteousness in men and women's heart. And we say, wake up in the name of Jesus. And recognize and realize the day and the hour that you live in. Father, we thank you for revival fires beginning to burn. We thank you for refreshings from the presence of the Lord. We thank you for outpourings of the Holy Ghost unprecedented in this place. We thank You for signs, wonders, miracles, stretching forth Your hand to heal that signs and wonders will be done in the name of Your holy child, Jesus. We thank You for evangelism. We thank You for Sunday school. We thank You for Bible schools. We thank You for the Word being taught on a level like it's never been taught before. We thank You for praise. We thank You for worship. We thank You for all the things of God that will manifest and rise to a new level. For we declare that the days we live before this time were not our greatest days. These are our greatest days. These are the days in which we contend for a move of God. These are the days in which we pray and make dynamic power available. We thank You for it, Lord. Now pray in the Holy Ghost for a moment. Thank You for the Spirit of God. For we know not what nor how to pray. So we take time tonight to pray in other tongues. <laughs> Let your anointing flow. Let your blessing flow. We bind the spirits of religion. Lord, I bind offenses. Lord, the foul spirit of offense that is swept through these areas, that is separated men and women, whole families from the move of God, from their churches, from men and women they've served God with for many, many years. We bind and break its power. In the name of Jesus, we declare a season of restoration. A season of returning to the house of the Lord. A season of the backslider, like the prodigal, coming to themselves and recognizing there's bread in the Father's house. Lord, for the children, the sons and the grandchildren of men and women in this place that have lost the fire of God, that has lost the desire for God, but they've not lost the righteousness of God. We speak to that righteousness and we say, stir them in their hearts. Stir them in their hearts. Let them yearn. Let them yearn to be in the presence of God. Let their ears ache to hear the Word of God. Oh, in the name of Jesus, let an overwhelming hunger hit their life 
like never before, in which that hunger cannot be satisfied by money, by success, by sensual pleasure. The only thing that can satisfy that hunger is the Word of God and the presence of God in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Oh, we pray it. We pray for a mighty change. 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 From the inside out, a mighty change. A mighty change. A mighty change. A mighty change. Not years from now. Not months from now. But now in our hearts. But now in our hearts. Let the change begin now. Let the change begin with us. Let the change happen now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, much of what we experience in the years gone by, actually, I would, I would, I would categorize it from about the mid 80s to about the mid and late 90s. Much of what we experience is because we pushed into it. We pressed into it. We pushed into it. We pressed, we pressed into areas of darkness which have never been encroached into before in this area. Up in Houston, down in Galveston, in the nations of the world. We press, and listen, when you press into darkness, let me tell you what's going to happen. It's going to press back. It's going to press back. And it's been pressing back. And it's been, but listen, those days are over. We're waking up in the spirit. We're waking up. The body of Christ is waking up like a sleeping giant. And it's beginning to shake itself. And listen, you need to be in on the foundational days, months, and years of it. You need to begin to believe God for a personal revival in your own life. You need to believe God for revival in your church, for times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And you need to believe that by my Spirit, I will place the words in your heart and in your mouth that will release the provision and blessing that you're desiring and will release the move of my hand and my spirit across this region like you've never done before. But if you'll contend and believe God and stand in faith and not give up, those words will come to your heart and by the authority vested in you through the finished work of your Savior, you will release it and push back the darkness and the light shall come and the goodness of God will flow like never before. And there shall be a restoration. A restoration of families, a restoration of churches, a restoration of finances, and a restoration of that which I desire to do. And I'll catch you up. The years that the palmer, the canker, the, 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 the worms that have eaten away the years, I'll catch you up and refresh you with my presence and by the outpouring of my Spirit. And many souls shall come into the kingdom and the blessings of God shall flow. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Now stretch your hands to cross to that high school right there. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we bind every dark force. 
in that high school. I say in the name of Jesus, devil, get your hands off of that school. Teachers that have opposed the move of God, administrators that have opposed any type of the Bible or prayer in that school, remove them in Jesus' name. Let righteous men and women rise up. Let the student body catch fire in the name of Jesus. We bind the drug addiction. We bind any type of violence. We surround it with faith and love. And we declare in the name of Jesus, the power and the anointing of God. Lord, where there has been these mass shootings, let there be mass revival. In the name of Jesus. If Satan can do it, you can do it better. Revivals that make the newscast. Where hundreds get saved in a day. Where thousands are on their knees praying. In the name of Jesus. Let it happen in Grosbeck. Let it happen in Buffalo. Let it happen in Waco. Let it happen in Fairfield. Let it happen in Mahia. Let it happen. Let it sweep through these schools in Jesus' name. Oh, sabake sobrate sobrapa. Eh, sabrabakale sobrate Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I went to a school. I'll say this and then I'll give it back to Pastor. I went to a school before we moved to Galveston in 1973. 1970, 71, 72. I went to South Houston High School, which is a large, very large high school in the Pasadena School District. And, uh, and, and right on the border where, where South Houston, Pasadena, and, uh, and Houston come together. Uh, I went to that school as a, soft, as a freshman, uh, sophomore, and junior. And uh, uh, it was, you know, there, it was it was the uh, late '60s into the early '70s. Drugs were everywhere. It was just, it was just, it was just terrible. Now, fast forward to 1984. I went to Bible school, and there was a young lady in the Bible school, and I was talking to her one day, and, and she asked me, "Where'd you go to high school?" I said, "Well, I was a senior at Mojave, but before that, I went to South Houston High School." She said, "South Houston High School." I said, "Yeah." She said, "I got saved at South Houston High School." Now she was about 12 years younger than I was. I said, you got saved at South Houston High School. She said, yeah. You know, in about 1978, a revival broke out in the high school. And she said, for weeks and weeks and weeks, every morning the auditorium would be full of kids on their knees praying. And it was initiated by the prayer of a pastor's wife of the Assembly of God Church, Vivian McDuff. I don't know if you've ever heard of the McDuff. John McDuff, Coleman McDuff, and Roger McDuff. Yes. Three brothers out of yes. Texas City. Yes. Well, John pastored, uh, I think it's Living Faith Church in Pasadena, Texas. Well, well, well Vivian, her, 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 uh, uh, his, his wife, had prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for revival in that school. And guess what? Revival hit that school. And the move of God swept across that school. And he's, uh, th- th- this young lady told me that revival went on for three years. Went on for three years in a high school. So why can't it happen here? You know what God has ever done anywhere on the earth, He'll do anywhere else where people are willing to pray for it. And here's the thing. It's our own prayers and it's the prayers of those that have gone before us. God still answers prayers of those that are in heaven right now because they prayed into our future. Just as we're praying into the futures of our children and our grandchildren. Yes. Amen. Amen. We're going to pray? Yes, we are. Everybody say, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. Say, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. Say, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. And things are going to change. And things are going to change. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Brother Randy, come on.